0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It is now the 2023 draft cycle, and this is The Real Forno Show. I'm your host, Tyler Fornes, and we have no special guest today, but we're going to get producer Dave in the co-host chair, and we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to talk. Louis Seen, the first-round pick of the Minnesota Vikings, the overarching thoughts of the Vikings' first draft with Kweisi dofo and Kevin O'Connell, and what to expect from Louis Seen this year, and then just some general thoughts as we move forward throughout the offseason. Even though the draft is done and the majority of the offseason has been completed, the content never stops here on the Climbing the Pocket YouTube channel. So strap up. It's time to
1: talk about the new era. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Tyler Fornis, contributor at NBC Sports Edge and USA Today's Vikings Wire, along with being a member at Climbing the Pocket.
0: welcome this is the real forno show and i am your host tyler Fornis. we've got producer dave up here oh i used the wrong thumb there we go dave my man uh we were zombies yesterday how are you feeling today
1: (laughs) i had a little bit more energy this morning i've since lost that i need to recharge my batteries but that's what uh this is for
0: oh dude i feel you i uh we just put some Budweiser on heavy sale, so I just got a flat for $11. bucks. i am probably going to crack that open here in a little bit. I got a Pizza Hut pizza right next to me that I've been munching on. Let me tell you the draft is over, and yes. the Vikings have 10 new players that they collected from the draft and nine undrafted free agents. We're going to talk about one of them in Lewis seen them in a little bit, but Dave, some of the overarching thoughts uh, from the draft. Um, there's a lot of really interesting talking points. What was your biggest takeaway from the draft for the Vikings?
1: Well, it was – the draft was weird. Uh, when Kwezi started trading, thought that it's a big deal to trade. You know, that first trade with the Lions, and it seemed we got fleece. but when I look at it, it looks better. And then that second trade with Green Bay, it just feels dirty that you're trading with uh, – somebody within your division. Mm-hmm. But you could debate whether the Lions trade was a win or a loss, but generally anybody in the production side of things looks at the more players you get, the better chance you have. And once I think we fleeced Green Bay on the opposite end, we've got uh, – a uh, they got a second of ours for, and we got both – there seconds, I think it turned out all right. It turns out, a buddy of mine, Ted Glover, that many of you know, made a chart, and I forgot to load it, but I can load it real quickly. That uh, he was bored at work, so he made a chart, a flow chart, uh, describing the draft and those trades. Ooh. And what happened is, with Quazy making those trades, he turned a first and second rounder into four players. And to me, that's four players in the top six, 66 picks. Or, and uh, to me, that's almost, you know, those are guys you can expect to start. And that is really uh, value in my books. So I, I can't knock that. It's It's a good deal. Now, what I did find interesting, and heard this on Score North today, is the first three picks, Louis Sign, Andrew Booth, well, and the fourth pick, Brian Asamoa, are for guys are for positions where we have guys over 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Louis obviously, safety. He's going to play next to Harrison Smith. Hitman is over 30, right? Eventually, hopefully, he develops into the replacement for Harrison. You have um, Asamoah, who's going to play linebacker eventually, probably start. Um, And we got Kendricks, who's over 30. And then you had Booth, probably the best draft pick of all, because if he's fully healthy... And supposedly he hasn't been since like ninth grade. I think that's going to be an absolute steal. You've got pa- Patrick Peterson, who's the old man in that group. So for the future, building for the future, the rebuild part of it, um, I think I didn't see that until today. You know, we were tired 15 hours straight of broadcasting. It was just, it was beat. I thought that was actually a good sound strategy. What did you think?
0: Honestly, for as much as I was really unsure of what the strategy was, it also made complete sense, Dave. Because one thing we talked about ad nauseum is the fact of what Quasey's going to do. And what Quasi ended up doing was, in all honesty, exactly what we thought. He's going to play the board like it's the stock market. And at playing the board-legged like stock market, he was able to manipulate those picks, just like uh, that flow chart from Ted showed. And he turned basically turned 12, 44, and 77 into the top four picks, and then they ended up getting a fourth-rounder, which they turned into Ty Chandler and Otomewo, the Minnesota defensive lineman. Uh-huh. So they turned their first four picks into six players. And that's not even including the Akaleb at, at like you could talk about the Akaleb Evans trade up but I'm not even going to include that. Like those first 3 picks turned into 5 players. That's how you manipulate the board. Will those players pan out? We don't know that answer yet. There is a lot of things that have to happen to see if those players are going to pan out. There's a lot of coaching, a lot of developing, a lot of understanding scheme. These guys need to figure out how to play in the NFL too. They need to learn the playbook. They need to make it so they don't have to think and they can just react. And they have to continue to grow and develop and get in that strength and conditioning program and really show something early on in practice. There's a lot of if with this class. I wrote about it for NBC Sports Edge. I gave this class a B. The first two picks were home runs. The way they maneuvered the board, they got two top 25 prospects at 32 and 42. Great work by Quasi. After that, there's a lot of question marks. Well, Ingram, I mean, Ingram, mean, like it, go know, ahead. I,
1: I said as I'm probably graded a C, but but I'm stuck on this 500 mediocre stuff. But when I look yeah. at it, what do I expect of guys that are taken in the first and second round? And then, um. Asamoa at the top of the third, I expect those guys to turn into adequate starters, if not better. And getting adequate starters, if you get three in a draft, you had a good draft. Well, if we mm-hmm. get four in a draft, we had an outstanding draft. And if any of those guys pop to um to be Pro Bowl level, they were, they were golden. I think I think this Looking at it in hindsight versus how I looked at it on the days of the draft. I'm liking it more than I did at the time. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Um, And that's one of the things about these draft grades. I try not to grade too harshly when I do them. For the sole fact that there's a lot of projection. Some grades, oh, A plus, fantastic draft. Think of how many Browns drafts we graded in A because of how much talent they got in the Mm mid-2010s and how bad those players stunk. Johnny Manziel getting him in the 20s, great value. Trenton Richardson, slam dunk. Mm -hmm. bombed. They were terrible. Right. And it is what it is. Justin Gilbert at eight. lauded. One of the only players to have truly bust out of that top ten. That was the year the Vikings drafted Anthony Barr. I wanted Justin Gilbert. I thought he was going to be a stud. That happens because there is something between the college game and the pro game. It's so incredibly different. Not only do you have to be a hyper-athlete, but you have to be really smart, and you have to know what you're doing out there at all times. You can't just fake it with athleticism anymore. You have to have the whole package. And In that
1: transit. Athleticism-wise – Everybody at the pro level is easily as fast, as strong, if not faster or stronger than you mm-hmm. are coming out of college. And uh, they're also wiser because they've got a few more gray, beard or gray hairs, been playing longer, know how the system works. And to get some 22-year-old that comes in who thinks he knows it all, he's got to learn. And he will learn. He'll have his welcome to the NFL moment. And not all of them make that transition. And it's a shame mm-hmm. that that's the case, but they don't.
0: Yeah, not all of them do make that transition, and I completely agree with you. Uh, I'm uh, I'm very intrigued to see who does and who doesn't because there are a lot of players in this class that could really go either way. Um, I'm pulling something up that I'm going to send here to you, Dave, just as a kind of on-screen production thing. Okay. Um, and it, it's... We're going to use this in, as a, a kind of a talking point here as we continue to move on into this class. Um, what I'm very fascinated by is how quasi approached the players that he picked. Okay.
1: And, and there's some storylines there, too. Mm-hmm.
0: There's 100% some storylines there. Um, and one thing I found fascinating that I don't know if you realized all ten prospects mm-hmm. played at Power Five Schools. All well, of them.
1: Well, I didn't the know Big about the, I didn't know about the latter ones, but I knew after first two days we were talking about that. And,
0: and here's another thing. They did not take any Pac 12 prospects. They stayed Midwest and
1: East. Hmm. I wonder why.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if that has anything to do with anything, but I just found that interesting. And somebody pointed out in the live stream that with like six picks that they had only gone Power 5 schools. And then I'm like, oh. So I'm wondering if this is going to become a trend. And I'm going to look back at Brown's drafts the last couple Mm -hmm. years and see if they only drafted Power 5 guys. Because I can't off the top of my head think if they drafted anybody that wasn't a Power 5 guy. Um, Nick, nothing's wrong with the Pac-12. But it's not viewed as a very strong conference. They have a couple teams really good at the top. And then there's this saying, a saying that I don't know if you've heard. The Pac-12 is going to Pac-12 where they just beat the living crap out of each other. And all of a sudden, nobody's better than a nine-win team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for as good as some of these teams are, they lose to bad Pac-12 teams. And it's consistent. There's a reason why Pac-12 teams normally don't make the playoff. It's not that they're bad. They're all kind of goodish, And nobody's truly great.
1: The, so like the Vikings.
0: Hey, yeah. Um, Nick, I didn't know your college team was a Pac-12 team. I, I really like watching Washington. Their defense is just stupid. Like, fun stupid. I like that. But, Dave, there's a gra- uh, a tweet I just sent you from I, our good friend, I Nick really- Olson. I would love for you to pull it up, please, because that, this is going to become a really big talking point. They value explosiveness. The 10-yard 10, 10 split is what they really valued, and this is very fascinating seen 99th percentile fastest of any safety. Ingram 99th, Asamoah 97th, Evans 84th, Chandler 99th, Lowe 90th, Naylor 94th, Muse Nick got auto corrected 82. Like we're talking about guys who are quick off the ball, who are incredibly explosive when they're trying to move forward. And when you're explosive in that way, you can really make up for a lot of things. Asamoah right now doesn't have the elite vision and football IQ, but his speed makes up for it. And he can compensate. Scene has the football IQ, and his speed helps him do things that he shouldn't. There's a play that Nick ended up sharing that I hadn't gotten to see, where he is on the is on the left hash, and then he starts rotating to the center in like color cover three scheme. He sees a screen and he sprints, and he's able to, to get a tackle in that hole between the receivers that are blocking.
1: Players I thought, aren't supposed to do that. I did watch that. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, for maybe a three yard gain or whatever, but it would have been a lot, lot more if you had a normal safety back there that wouldn't have got there. And it was it was amazing. And we've seen how well he hits and the comparison about Viking like Jerome said, all big hitters. Um we've heard of a better Andrew Sendejo as a comp. Now that's what, what I've used. Will that get him in trouble a few times? I'm sure it will, but Mm -hmm. it will be exciting to watch. And it definitely, wasn't he the one that talked about breaking the will of the opposition? Yeah. Why he played so hard? The whole psychological game of football exists. The whole idea Mm -hmm. that I am going to beat you and destroy you your mind to take away your will, actually works. Um, you do that from a player, and then suddenly you've got free reign. You're in their head, and that gives you an extra added advantage beyond everything else. You do that, and it's golden. You win all day. And and some people are susceptible to it. And if you get beat and beat hard and it hurts. And you get the guy on the other side going, I don't want to do this anymore. He's going to pull up. He's not going to work as hard. That's why uh, back in my day, I hate when I hear that, um, you know, they told us as a defensive end, you always hit the quarterback. Whether he's got the ball or not, you hit the quarterback. And the whole idea yep. is to get him to the pitch because we're back in that day, we ran a bunch of option or played a bunch of option teams. You get him to pitch early. Then you know what he's doing. And you also know that he's not going to come out and try to get around you on a pass play. So it's the psychological part of it. Vikings have had some great players that could get in a guy's heads um, over the years. Absolutely talks Mac get in their heads and it works. Scene bring if he brings that, if he brings it physically and if he I don't know if he verbally talks, but if he brings it physically. That helps you win games when games come mm-hmm. down to three or four key plays during you know that 60 minute period. If you can get one or two of those to pull up, not catch the ball because they're worried about being hit or whatever, that gives the Vikings the advantage.
0: No, I 100% agree. Scene is going to give defenses or offenses fit for the little nuanced things that he's able to do. we're going to kind of break that down here a little bit, but there are a couple more points on the overarching view of this draft class that I really want to point out there. David feels like there's a shift in offensive linemen and the philosophy on who they're going to be drafting. Let me tell you, Dave, I think you're a fan of this because it's about prioritizing one pass blocking and two, they prioritize length with both Ingram and the, the Illinois kid. I, I am blanking on his name. Um, um, Vidarian Lowe. The tackle, yeah. Yep. Lowe Viderio has him. like 35 and 5 8 inch arm. Oh, he's, Ingrams are really long for his size too. They uh, prioritize length, 10 yard split, that explosiveness, and they're prioritizing pass blocking. It's not all about being an athlete. Yes, is it great that Bradbury can climb to that second level and be an elite reach blocker? Hell yeah. That rules. But at the same time, if you're going to get forklifted because you don't have enough sand in your pants, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Because mm-hmm. when you see those little me, nuance things.
1: When it comes to uh, when it comes to Ingram, you sent me his all 22, which I didn't get a chance to look at today. I do mm-hmm. want to look at it. I do expect him. Uh, I haven't watched it yet. I will look at it and I'll try to break some of it down on what we can expect what is good about him, what is not so good, what could be coached, what can't be coached, and uh, and see where we can go with him. I think he has more upside because if you can pass block as well as he did in the SEC, we're talking against guys that are NFL caliber, Um, there are things the Vikings can do. And what I heard earlier today, didn't realize – the Vikings are doing a hybrid uh, sort of offense. Instead of wide zone or wide middle, um, I'm trying to remember what they called it. I think they called it wide middle. Um, it's it's going to be sort of a hybrid ish style run blocking scheme. I'm anxious to see how it works. Well, if you got big guys in the middle with Ezra Cleveland and Ingram on the other side, you can move people, right? It's not a strict yeah. power game, but you can move people with running. Yes, Bradbury may be the one that goes out and reaches to the second level where he's mm-hmm. good at it. But and everything else, you're moving the guys that have been a strict Pain in the butt for the Minnesota Vikings. Every time we run up the middle, we always seem to get stuffed. Well, hopefully this new hybrid-ish scheme eliminates that. And I'm excited to see that.
0: Dave, I'm really excited to see it too because utilizing a hybrid scheme can really be beneficial. You have guys that can not only move people, but they're capable enough. They don't need to be elite at it capable enough to be able to do those uh, outside zone blocks, to be able to reach, to be able to climb to the second level. That's what we wanted out of Wyatt Davis, right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't going to get moved or forklifted uh, in pass protection. He was going to be just good enough on the outside to be able to make those blocks. And I think that is just as important as being able to make them on an elite level. Because if you can do both things well, you'd rather have that than Gareth Bradbury be an elite run blocker an atrocious pass blocker at times.
1: And I do think this hybrid deal will help Wyatt Davis as well. It's going to be interesting to see who's the starters on the offensive line, who wins those positions, who competes with Brad Berry at center, who wins the right guard. How does uh, Wyatt Davis look coming into camp now that he's been training down here in Dallas all offseason and with a you know, lineman coach, I'm looking forward to that. It's just, and if you get that good enough to get some push in a running game and good enough pass blocking where you're protecting Kirk Cousins, there's no excuses. This offense should take off.
0: It should, but let's be honest here. The offense is going to rely on two things. Kirk Cousins' ability to win off-structure and maximize pressured situations. Because that's where he struggled last year. He was like PFS 20th-ranked quarterback under pressure. First-ranked quarterback with a clean pocket. Look, any NFL quarterback can win with a clean pocket.
1: Oh, that, I, I, I don't know about that, but won. there's quite a few of them that, eh. But Kirk sure, surely can't. When conditions are perfect,
0: Kirk is one of the best in the league, and there's no doubt about it. We are Mm -hmm. not challenging that here. We are not saying that he's not good enough in those situations. He's more than good enough. In fact, he's great in those situations where he needs to improve is the situations where things aren't perfect, where he has to improvise, where he has to take a hit, where he has to wait for Justin Jefferson a half a second to clear on that dig route, on a dagger concept, to be able to slam it down the middle for 15 yards Instead of throwing a three yard check down to CJ Ham, that's what we need here. Mm-hmm. And if we get that, that's going to take us to the next level. Can Kevin O'Connell extract that out of him? I genuinely don't know if he can. If he does, let's go with this hypothetical. If he does, this team could reach heights that we didn't see possible going into the draft. It really could. Because now if Ingram goes and plays as an average guard, average. Like PFF's 35th out of 70. That's all we're asking. We're asking for average. If he gives us average, that means a whole lot to this offense. It gives Bradbury, for the first time in his career, two capable guards next to him. It gives Kirk Cousins more confidence that he's not going to get absolutely slaughtered by Akeem Hicks every other play. And it lets route concepts open up downfield for bigger gains. Kirk's got to be able to have that confidence to stand in the pocket and deliver. If he can do that, this team can go far in the playoffs. But it's all up to that one thing because we're going to see improvement from the defense. We're going to see some form of regression from the offense. But can we see progression on other areas to be able to take that next step? I'm fascinated to watch it, and Ingram is going to end up being a big part of that.
1: I don't don't want to see any regression on the offense. I want to see –
0: I agree, but look, board, I'm just trying regression. to be I'm trying to be real here, Dave. We're going to see some form of regression, but our EPA was in the middle it was closer to average than it was to elite last year, and our points per game was nowhere near it should have been right. considering how many yards we got on a consistent basis. We didn't finish and I think with how things are projecting, and if Kevin O'Connell can extract that. We can really take another step, and I'm very excited about that. We'll talk more about Ingram next week. There is a lot to talk about with Ingram, and we're and I'll address this just now. We're not going to talk about the off-field stuff. It is there. It's awful. It's gross. But we're it not going to be
1: juveniles, and hopefully, he's grown from that and learned. And.
0: It's just one of those things, Dave, you're right. It is what it is. There's really nothing we can do about it. It's it's bad. Yep. But we, on this show, are only going to talk about the football stuff because it's...
1: That's, because it's that's just, what we care about.
0: Really. Well, it's not just all that as, we care about. As, There's just nothing we can do about the off-field. It's there. Yeah, it is what it is.
1: But we're as just much gonna, as we look, like a particular player, mm-hmm. right, I might like Ezra Cleveland. Everybody knows I like Ezra Cleveland, right? I might like Adam Thielen, right? My favorite all-time Viking was uh, Jimmy Klein saucer. you mm-hmm. just got to watch him in college, and I got to meet him. Great guy, right? <laughs> yeah. But when they're on the team, I really don't care about them as, and this may be cold, I don't care about what they're – On a first level, I don't care about what the rest of them are, the rest of them as a human being is. I care about how are they producing? How are they getting the Vikings to win? How are they, you know, progressing in the goal to win that championship we've never seen, right? Mary, you can talk about that in the comments. It's been so long. We want to see these guys there signed up to play football, drafted or signed, however it is, to play football. I care about the football. I was in the military, mm-hmm. right? I enlisted and re-enlisted and re-enlisted and stuff. I did that voluntarily. These guys play football voluntarily, right? But they do it, they do it for the love of the game and love of what they're doing, like I did it in the military, but in the long run, it is to win, period. That's what they're there for. I want to see these guys, and it's what I care about, whether it's Ingram cleaning up his run blocking, or if it's uh, Naylor uh, cleaning up route running or catching or whatever the flaws are on individual players, I want to see it happen. That's why I'm a fan. It's just been too damn long. And what are we, in the 62nd, 63rd season we're going into? Come on. I -hmm. want to see him win. Yes, I like the players. Yes, I want to like the players. But if they go out on a boat in Lake Min- Minnetonka, does it affect how they play? If it doesn't affect how they play, they could be loud. Well,
0: it affected them. Fred Smoot. I don't know if that
1: means anything. <laughs> but, hey, as long as they win, everything's forgiven. As long as you win. Yeah.
0: Um, look, there's one more thing I want to talk about with the draft, and then we're going to get to Louisine, Dave. How did you feel about Quasi Spielman this past weekend, or is it Rick Adolfo Mensa? Because let me tell you, the trades were so prevalent. But I want to dive into that because it wasn't identical. It was not the same as Rick. What it was was a different methodology to maximize trades, mm-hmm. and Quasi manipulated the board really well. Did he win every trade on every chart? No. Back to Jimmy Johnson and Rich Hill trade charts. Jimmy Johnson one is the one that's been used throughout the league for about for, for my decades, entire life. since Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, 32, 33 years. Mm-hmm. We got slaughtered in the Rich Hill trade chart. We lost. We lost. The production based charts, the deep analytical charts, all had us winning. Mm-hmm. Giving up 12 and 46 for 32, 34, and 66. Cool. Like, that ended up kind of working out. But when you look at everything else included, like, the fact that he was willing to package and trade back up, including sending next year's fourth, which was a little bit of a surprise, considering he traded up for a fourth-round pick instead of just trading up four spots. I found that one interesting. But he was able to manipulate and get draft capital back. Giving him next year's fourth means the Vikings currently only have five picks going into next year's draft. First, second, third, fifth, and sixth. The seventh round pick goes to Denver as part of the Steven Weatherly trade. Okay. So that's worth mentioning here. But I did like how Quasi was not afraid to move up or down based on who was available and what the board looked like. And how they they felt they could attack it. Uh-huh. They took scene. They moved down and got 53 and 59. Then used 53 to go back to 42. They gave up 77 and a sixth, And got 122 in return. I loved it. I loved the aggressiveness. And I, I'm just going to compile picks strategy. They utilized what they had to manipulate it. And then cash it in. Like sitting at a blackjack table. Hey, I can double down? Let's double down. Oh, I hit a, I split my aces and got two tenths? All right, I'm going to cash out. Then we'll go to the roulette table and put some more money down and we're going to reinvest. And that's kind of the same strategy that Quacy had. And I loved it. I love the fact that we got two top 25 players in scene in and Andrew Booth Jr. We got players at positions of future need. Ed Ingram, Brian Asamoah. A Caleb Evans is a good one. And I talked about it on the stream, and I'm excited to dive even further into his tape. I wanted Tariq Wollen or Zion McCullough. I wanted the hyper athlete. Right. We got a very good athlete in Evans, who struggles with the ball in the air. And for his at relative athletic score of like 9.63, so 96 percentile athlete. He's too tight in the hips. But so I'm really interested to see. If what they saw because they didn't think he should be available at that spot, and that's an interesting thing too. Did their board stack up good enough compared to the rest of the market to where they were actually able to take advantage of what the rest of the league was doing? Like the Steelers, for example, and to just just tr- um, try and tie it all together. Okay, there was no quarterback taken between twenty and seventy-four. There were quarterbacks that were graded higher than Kenny Pickett. Mm-hmm. Three of them on my board, in fact. Sure, there were no quarterbacks taken the between them. Did the Steelers misevaluate the board by taking a quarterback early when they cr- probably could have gotten him later? And that's what I'm talking about here with these trades. It, the value for, like, let's say a guy like Ingram or Asamoah, it, it's a little bit overvalued, sure. Could they have gotten him later and picked up more capital Instead of taking them there, that's what I'm really interested in with this class because I don't know that answer.
1: well, but if you look at it and you and you talked about it earlier, if you look uh, with the the uh, Nicks tweet right about the speeds, mm-hmm. it looks very much like Kweezy had and we're only seeing this in hindsight a a methodology one, the um taking it from the top five conferences, right? All the people there. And two, looking at speed, right? He wanted speed, so he's got speed. And if he sees a player available, even though it's maybe ahead of where the big consensus board, and there's nothing wrong with the consensus board. Consensus board is a marvelous tool, and it hits on something like 80% 80 some odd percent um, sees them ahead a bigger value that that they make the they're from the right school block check that they have that first 10 split check do they have other things on the list we don't know check right and if he has those he goes I gotta get it now or I'm gonna I have a bigger chance of losing it down the road. It's like if he's being a stockbroker, does he recommend to a client, "You need to sell this now because I see it uh, declining here in the near future." Does the the customer sell early, or does the customer risk waiting till it gets to the very highest point and then maybe wait, you know, one day too long, and then that stock is crashed, right? Of course, you want to sell at the highest point. You want the maximum value, but you've got to weigh that risk of: do I take it now and expense a little bit of that value equation on getting it early to get what I want, or do I risk it? And there's a there's a it's a tipping point somewhere in there that he knows, and he may have selected those guys early because he felt that tipping point was between then. And when not he be available to pick later? So that's the route he took. I have no fault with that.
0: Yeah, and I want to uh, reference, Dave, something that Drew mentioned as far as the trades. You take Hamilton at 12, you aren't getting either seen or Booth. Is Hamilton that much better than Scene where you want to give up Andrew Booth Jr.? I'm going to be honest. I don't think so. And I love Kyle Hamilton. He was a number two player on my board. But Sean and Booth were both in the top 30. In this situation, I'd rather have the two top 30 guys than Kyle Hamilton. Because right. I think Seen can do a lot of similar things to Kyle Hamilton, even though they're a slightly different profile. I like the idea of having two really, really talented players to add to my defense.
1: Yeah, you get but more in the long run that way. Mm-hmm.
0: Dave, we've gone almost 40 minutes in the show, and we haven't talked about our great friends at Lake Monster Brewing. Who? By the way, Ooh. did a fantastic job hosting us on night two. What a wonderful group of people. Met the head brewer, um Matt uh, Mark yeah, sorry, Matt. He joined us on the show. Great guy, had some nice insight, and told us about why he brewed the Norseman Red Ale for us. Dave, let me tell you, you would love the, the that Norseman Red Ale. A think think of a like your malty red ale with with a nice blend of hops. Really, really good stuff, but I don't want to. Well, I heard anymore. the best
1: description is take Achilles and merge it with an IPA, and uh, mm-hmm. it's the child thereof. It sounds great to me because I do love red ales, Um mm-hmm. and uh, you know I love my IPAs. So okay. I, I can't wait. Matt said he's going to try to send me some, so we'll see. And yes, he can. He has the license to do that. And there we go. Hey folks, if you haven't had the chance and you're up in the Twin Cities, go by Lake Monster in Saint Paul. It's right across the river from Minneapolis. It's easy to find. Go by and find the beer you like. They make such a variety from sours to uh, brown ales and stouts, and of course, me and my IPAs and. Lagers and uh, uh, wheat beers, and you'll find something, I guarantee you, that you will enjoy. And you can't beat it for nothing. And you'll make great friends in the process. And it only comes from Lake Monster Brewing. I Mm -hmm. proudly wear their hat because their beer is that good. Unlike that macro you talked about getting prior to the show, um, Budweiser, by the way.
0: Hey, you know what? I'll tell you what. The second Lake Monster uh, starts selling flats at twenty bucks, I will never drink Budweiser again.
1: <laughs> but it's hey, folks. If I can't. Next time up, I'm up in the cities, and I hope to be up sometime soon because I want to catch a game, in particular, up in the new stadium. Trust me, I am making a trip purposefully out to Lake Monster.
0: Well, I'll tell you, Dave. That's how good it is. If you you make a stop up here, you've got a a room to stay here in my house. Try and cut those travel costs. Plus, I have enough beer to make you want to puke. (laughs) The good stuff. I got enough doubles and triples to get us both hammered. It's a good time. But we only have about 20 minutes left. And, Dave, we got to talk about this new guy, Louis Scene. I want to say a quick hello to some people in the comments. We've got Mary killing it as always. Nick. Tyler Browning from Blue Chip Scouting joining us. Drew Bunting calling me Malik Forniss. You're dang right. And we will talk tomorrow, or sorry, next week, about how Malik Willis falling to 86 overall is an abomination. And I said that multiple times on night two. I don't get it. I've never gotten it. Makes no sense to me. But that's another thing here nor there. Dave. Have you had an opportunity to watch some Seen yet?
1: Yes, I've watched some highlights of him and actually one where he uh, they we're trying to figure out it was through Luke Braun whether, who missed the coverage.
0: Yeah, um, which play was it? Because um, in the Lockdown Viking Discord that Luke Braun runs, I asked a few questions on plays because I'm like, is this his fault? Because the scheme is something that I'm learning still more because I am not great at it. Luke is great at it. Um, Nick Olson, who Nick we Olson used his is, tweet earlier in the show. And ago. Matt Freeze. Matt Freeze. Yes, they are. And then Mike uh, Mike, uh, he uh, writes for um, SI Bengals. Um Sans mm-hmm. Wagata on Twitter, tremendous asset. He knows scheme and he loves talking ball. Make sure you go give those guys a follow. Okay. If you ever have any scheme questions, they're gonna be great resources for you to help out. But scene, I comped him to Andrew Sandejo if Sandejo was a hyper-athlete and really smart. Because that's what Scene is. One thing that really stood out to me, he's got great vision and football IQ, and he knows what's happening in front of him and is able to react quickly and with explosion. Multiple instances where he's playing a deep middle or a deep half, and he sees a little swing pass, and he's zooming like he's Lightning McQueen in cars or some crap. Mm-hmm. And he takes the guy out. Because uh, when you have a bunch formation, all right? So you've got one here, one here, one here. The guy back, he gets the screen. These guys block, all right? So then there's a hole for the receiver to run through. And when the receiver runs through it, if the if they hold their blocks, they should be able to get to the second level really quick. And hopefully they can beat that crossing linebacker. Well, what Seen does is he's all the way out here, okay? He's able to cut that angle and get in that hole and prevent whatever receiver is catching the screen pass from getting more than a couple yards. That's not normal behavior. That's not something you see every day. That's something Harrison Smith really can't do. They're going to get six or seven Especially yards like before that. Smith gets to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Smith ran a mid, uh, 40 in the mid-4-5, seen 4-3-7 with 99% explosion scores. That 10-yard split, the most important thing. Anybody's, any one of these guys is fast at full speed. Can you be fast getting there? Seeing is fast getting there. And that's more important, arguably, than being fast when you get hit full speed. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that he's got that vision and he has the intelligence to understand what's going on in front of him. You'll see it multiple times, both pre-snap and post-snap, where he's directing people in front of him. Be like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. You need to do this, 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 and this. There's one play against Arkansas. They're running a double crosser. So, on the near side, there's the guy in the slot. And... Uh, sorry, it's a tight end, and then a guy's split out wide. They're both running deep crossers. The tight end's going more shallow. The receiver's going on the far outside. So scene notices this because he's playing a deep middle. Mm-hmm. He gets the star and, and just tells him, hey, take inside. So then he breaks off of his defender, doubles up the inside receiver, and scene takes the deep guy, basically making both throws almost impossible to get to, Because the guy he sent off, the deep receiver, is now essentially floating between the two. He's close enough to still potentially make a play on the ball behind, and now he's really doubling the guy in front. It's supposed to be the easier throw. That kind of intelligence is something you don't see every day. And if you understand a Kirby smart defense, which is an offshoot of Nick Saban, Nick Saban is one of the smartest men to ever coach the game of football, especially Mm -hmm. from a defensive side. And Nick Saban made one of the smartest coaching decisions of all time. He was the head coach at Toledo in the early 90s. A head coach. He went to be Bill Belichick's defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns in 1991. He learned with Bill Belichick, who is the greatest coach in the history of professional football. It's It's not a coincidence that Nick Saban is the greatest coach in the history of college football. There is a correlation there. Two of the smartest defensive minds to ever walk the planet worked together for four years. And if it weren't for Armodell moving the team, that 95 team could have been a Super Bowl contender. Everything went wrong that year. They all got fired, and Saban ended up going to Michigan State, and Bill Belichick went to go coach again with uh, Bill Parcells. Rest is history.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: What's really interesting there is – now Kirby Smart learned from Nick Saban. These defenses are insane. What they ask their players to do, they ask their players to be real smart, know everything that's going on in front of them. Dave, Sien doesn't just know what the linebacker's doing and the corners are doing. He knows the stunts. He knows well, the responsibilities of each down lineman. Mm-hmm. And because of that and his ability to react really, really quick, they're able to do things that most teams aren't able to do they design designed plays to specifically take guys out of them. They designed these screen passes to take scene out and, and let these receivers try and get upfield for 8 to 10 yards. Scene's good enough to recognize it right away, and when he sees it, he, he's not flat-footed. He explodes out of the gate and is able to take that out. Really, really impressive stuff. And one of the other things I saw, because he is not the most fluid in his back pedal, he stands a little upright, because when you watch Kyer Elam, uh, Florida kid, corner, and I know a lot of people did going into this draft because that was a position the Vikings needed to target. He he dips his butt. You remember like when you were taught squats, Dave, and right. you were basically taught to sit in a chair when you're going down. Yeah, it looks it looks like Kyer Elam's sitting in an office chair and he's just being pushed back. That's how far down he goes, and I it's really impressive to watch and seeing instead of being down. Yeah, he's more like this. Mm -hmm. Like, his back's still pretty upright. And it's not the biggest deal in the world. But he's still able to explode really well out of that. Imagine if he could explode when he's down that much. Right. And I think that's somewhere where he could take another step. But the intelligence just pops off the screen. The explosiveness. And this is where the Anderson Day-Hokam comes in, Dave. He hits like a madman. He hits like he wants pain. He hits like he wants the other person to just crumble in front of him. It's just nasty. You got to go back 2020, the second quarter, Florida Georgia. He got ejected from that game for targeting. He took out Kyle Pitts with a hit so nasty that he basically knocked himself Kablooey went yeah. all loopy and was concussion, just lying concussion. on top of hits. And like Kyle Trask was running down to check on his tight end, and he was about to like yank him off, and then he realized, oh crap, like he's he's not being cocky, he's donezo. And then you see him get up, and he's just kind of like, oh, like he got ejected, he got himself a concussion. That's that kind of a reckless abandon, and it's not as reckless as Sandejo because Sandejo was just a gnarly bastard. He just He didn't just want to inflict pain. He wanted to inflict pain on everyone. He he just wanted to level you and destroy you and didn't care about anything that happened to him. seems more calculated than that. And something I really appreciate, because of his speed and explosiveness, he can zoom and he can take you out with a great form tackle and lay the wood down. But he's not like, remember Steve Atwater? Mm Hmm. Okay, Steve Atwater is a top five favorite player of all time for me. I loved watching that man play football. There was a play at the end of the Super Bowl against the Green Bay Packers, where he hit the defender so hard that not only did he knock him out, he knocked the corner out and himself. Like that's that's reckless abandon. This right. is way more calculated. Like one thing I learned today: Did you know Daniil Hunter has no roughing the passer penalties in his career? No, I didn't know that. That's pretty wild, right? Uh-huh. But then take take a minute to think about it how calculated and smart he is when he does hit the quarterback. Oh, He's yes. not using a reckless abandon. He's being very smart, hitting him to the oh, side, the wrap not whipping him down.
1: Pull down rather than plowing through and landing on him and burying his shoulder yes. into his collarbone. Hey, wait a minute. I like that play. play. Um, yeah.
0: Um, hey, Steve, I am old enough to have watched Steve Auerreiter. I am 32 years old. I started watching football almost like a religion when I was four and a half years old. I cannot tell you how many Steve Atwater games I watched. All-time top five favorite player for me. Warren Moon. You see the jerseys in the backdrop. (laughs) I have probably watched 150 Warren Moon games. You can find a lot on YouTube, my man. I am obsessed with some of these old, like, 90s players. Like, Leroy Butler is another favorite of mine, and I hated watching him play because he was so good and he always ruined my day when the Vikings played the backers. Leroy Butler having to wait so long for the Hall of Fame was a damn travesty. But I digress because we're getting way off topic here. But the point is, scene is way more calculated with how he hits people. He's just smart, intelligent, squares them up, takes them down. One element about his explosiveness, Dave, that gets him in trouble. He plays out of control sometimes where he just wants to be shot out of a cannon and he doesn't, Necessarily take the smartest angle. He doesn't square them up. He kind of dives at the legs. There was a play against Alabama where he did just that and it it showed up a couple other times too. He needs to play under control. And that doesn't necessarily mean play with less intelligence, play less explosive. It's like, hey, yeah, you're uh you're trap shooting, all right, and you're trying to shoot clay pigeons. Are you just gonna want to go boom, 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 hold the gun out right here? Or you gonna want to square up, look down the site, and fire and that he needs to go from being a little wild man and just spraying bullets everywhere to try and get it, and he needs to just aim with precision. If he can do that and really hone that in, we're going to talk about a different level of player. And I'm very excited to see how Harrison Smith being in the building is going to help him, how Ed Donatel is going to help him, Durante Jones, Patrick Peterson. There are a lot of really intelligent men and women in that building that are going to be able to help him take the next step. And I think this guy could be an All-Pro in five years. Well, like Aaron The sky n- is the limit. nailed
1: it about Browner. Um, mm-hmm. I was thinking the same thing. If you take somebody with his talent and physical capabilities and you pair them with Harrison Smith, we all know how smart Harrison Smith is. We know how he plays, We that it's calculated. It's very smart. He makes up for his uh, lack of speed and lack of overall skills with his mind, right? And how he plays the game to become a perennial all pro safety, right? Possibly future Hall of Famer. You take that and have him grab scene under the wing and say, hey, listen to me, I'm going to show you some stuff, right? And how Mm -hmm. to refine that and take that energy and, like you said, focus it, Mm -hmm. laser beam, where to look at the angles. You talk about shooting skeet. Skeet's about angles, right? And Mm -hmm. you're looking down the barrel, but you're actually looking at the bird or the clay. And, uh, And you're looking at that and where to go. It's the same thing when we talk about... Defenders taking angles to tackle. He's going to do the same thing. He's going to take angles to the ball and how to look at that and refine that so that he's focused on the belly button instead of the bigger deal. And then he's constantly getting there and hitting and not missing when he goes for the legs. But he's going through the trunk, the good tackles. You see Harrison Smith now, last year, he'll – He'll come down, and he'll break down in a stance ready to, to tackle somebody, and he's looking at their torso, right? You can juke all you want, but you can't juke you, your torso, your belly button. Where that goes mm-hmm. is where you're going, right? And he focuses it, and then he hits through. He uh, um, hits throughs and wraps. He can teach that and say, hey, this is how we do it. Joey Browner was good at it. Um, you take that, you take somebody as talented as seen, and he has more talent and raw athletic ability than Hamilton did, um, or does, and you meld that, I think we have a future guy with the potential to make us all proud, right? To be a Harrison Smith, the sequel right? And you get both of them playing together for the next couple years, and I think it's great. And people worry about, uh, I think it was Evil to Evil, uh, talking about, well, did we pass up the best player available? I don't know necessarily that we did, but I think we took the longer-term route, the rebuild route, taking players, the best player in a position that we thought needed replaced. And, uh, and if you could take that – I just lost my train of thought. But you take that safety and do that oh, – oh, just came back. That's what tequila helps. Um, take that. Ed Donatel plays – we've got three good safeties, right, right now. Yeah. Harrison Smith and Lewis Sign, along with Cameron Bynum. We all want to see Cameron mm-hmm. Bynum play. We saw him play briefly last year, and he played good, very, very good. We want to see him again. Ed Donatel tends to play more dime package than he does nickel package. Dime package uses three safeties, whereas nickel package uses traditionally three corners. I think we're going to see more dime packages coming up in the future. Combine that with guys that are smart, knowing what they're doing, seeing Harrison Smith, buying them, and I think this defense takes a big step when it comes to pass coverage and run against run if they get to that second level. Just my opinion.
0: Absolutely. Um, Dave, we didn't think we were going to even come close to going an hour. No. We're at an hour right now. Let me tell you, this has been a really fun, stimulating conversation. We've had a lot of really good people here in the chat.
1: Oh, we've had Uh, a ton tonight. Yeah, and it's it's, it's been great.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we love it. I um, appreciate appreciate all the interactions, guys. Next week, let me tell you, we're gonna have some good stuff. We're gonna talk Andrew Booth Jr., Ed Ingram, Brian Asamoah, the football players. Mm-hmm. All right, we're gonna talk about what they bring to this team, why they were drafted, and we're gonna we are gonna spend about twenty minutes on each guy. It's gonna be really fun. But Dave. We have some killer shows coming up this week. Oh, yes, And it's it's really important that we have all these shows because there is a lot to dissect with the NFL draft Mm -hmm. and how the Vikings approached it.
1: Who do we have coming up? We have the full slate, don't we? We sure do. We have in the huddle tomorrow night, Jason's gathering guys who are going to be on tomorrow night, and they're going to talk whatever they wish to talk about. I have no idea. I'm sure every show this week is going to deal with some sort of draft recap. But how they go about it, that's what's great about Climbing the Pocket. We have so big a variety of uh, commentators and personalities that you always find something you like. Whether it be on the live broadcast, like In the Huddle, or the podcast, like uh, Kindred Skulls and Unbelievable. You've got things to watch. Jason will be there tomorrow night. Jason's always great at running this show. Wednesday night. On Vikings Happy Hour, we have a guest. I don't remember Matt's got to shoot me an email who it was. Um, but we have people lined up for the next month. Uh, beat writers that you're used to most of the Score North Gang and beyond are going to be joining us on those shows. Thursday, we have Vikings Hot Takes with the one and only Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> the birthday boy today, Mister oh! Flip Mozzie. Well, happy I- birthday, Flip! And that's why he I know that. his birthday. And yes, today is his birthday. And Eric Thompson of the Daily Norseman. And then, of course, at the end of the week on Saturday, you get two old bloggers, me and Darren, as we'll break this all down like we normally do with some of the best graphics on the planet. We'll look at it from an old-timers' perspective, so to speak, and how this actually might be a good deal, and we might actually have a team that will progress beyond the 500 mark. We shall see. It's going to be full. And if you like this comment, please like the show. Subscribe if you haven't already. We're hoping to hit 2,000 subscribers soon. If you know some Vikings fans that need some great Vikings talk, shoot them our way. And uh and as always, if you want to get the notifications, hit the ring the bell. We appreciate it. And if you're listening on your uh, to the podcast the day afterwards, hey, give us a five-star. It helps. And every bit helps. And it helps to do nothing but grow the channel. We hope to get mm-hmm. bigger and bigger as the offseason goes, as we're already starting. This week will be, you know, these this week and into the next couple, we're looking at what we did in the draft as we build up towards the season. We'll get into the off season. We're already looking at what we can do better, bigger, and, uh, you know, more fun for you during the season. So it's mm-hmm. all coming. It's a big week. So join us.
0: No, it 100% is a big week, Dave. And I, I, I can't stress enough. The little things of just hitting like and subscribing, it means a big deal for us. Mm-hmm. It, it helps us. It helps us grow. It helps us be able to provide great content for all of you, and it it shows Jason that I am doing a good job <laughs> and I don't suck because I have Malik Willis above Desmond Ritter. Okay,
1: I, think I need the other that right one. Now. That's been the a topic one, point out of this draft for years.
0: I'm still right about that until. Uh, something else happens i'm still right i i contend that but with that being said thank you for spending your monday with us thank you for just following along throughout this whole weekend and being being just great supporters mike i'm going to come for you my man <laughs> you watch your canadian mouth okay um and if you if you don't remember mike he was on the show 2 weeks ago mm-hmm. and he gave me a lot of grief about quarterbacks so that being said Please keep tuning in. Next week is day two, guys. And then we're going to, d- depending on how much time I get for film, we may split up day three, guys, into two weeks. And then we have a potentially fun project coming this summer, um, something that I had already talked to Dave about a few months ago. But um, we're still, I'm still putting things together for that. And if I'm not able to get that taken care of, we're going to have some fun in a different way. Until then, for producer Dave,